Tonight I would like to speak to you from one of the Psalms. If you would turn with me to Psalm 119. A few years ago I dealt with some of the Psalms. Of course, I, to go through all the Psalms would take a tremendously long time. But the Psalms are so rich uh, for Christians. Of course, they, they really are so tender they probably are the most tender of all of the scripture to read. They are great solace in time of trouble. Uh, when the heart is burdened, there's no place like the Psalms, and the Psalms are really only meant for the redeemed of the law. They're not meant for unbelievers, and one of the most unfortunate things is that most unbelievers know more about the Psalms than anything else. Ah. Uh, Whatever it is, somehow I find that uh, I will meet people who know nothing about Christ and they'll be able to recite the 23rd Psalm to me or the 100th Psalm or something like that, as though this is the base of their faith. This is everything. Yet truly, the Psalms are for the children of God. They're great comfort to the soul. If you have a trial as a Christian now, uh, you wouldn't be likely to read some heavy portion on doctrine. You would be more likely to read a psalm. For as you read it, the tender mercies of God seem to be revealed so wonderfully to us. And of course, uh, David in all of his trials and the other psalmists, uh, it's, a, it's a continual story of trial and burden. So the psalms have much to say to our hearts as a family, God speaking to his children. And I challenge anybody who has a real burden of heart to take the Psalms and read them slowly and meditate where you find those places of meditation, something that's very precious to you, something that's very wonderful to you. Now, if you turn to Psalm 119, the 81st verse, Psalm 119 is the of course, the longest psalm and uh, has every letter of the Jewish uh, alphabet as its heading. And uh, Psalm 119, 81 is one of these places where we find the psalmist is hungry for God, fainting in his soul, undoubtedly heavy trials are upon him. As so often in the Psalms, the heavy burdens and heavy trials. And I think God, God knew us so well, you know. He knew life would be kind of rough. It's not a smooth road, is it? Hmm? It's not a smooth road. It has its uh, ups and downs. Hmm? It has its trials and its deep burdens, and uh, they are of all kinds of character. And God, knowing that and loving us so tenderly, places these at our use that we might truly look into them and from them receive his heart and the blessing he has for us. 81st verse, the psalmist says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation. And the but is in italics, so it's not in the original. I hope in thy word. And here where it says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, it is not salvation used in the sense of being saved. He is saved. 
Salvation is used, remember, in the scriptures in two senses. The first sense is in the salvation that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the salvation of the soul. And then there is the salvation of the saint in his trial, in his burdens, and in his problems. And this is the sense in which the psalmist here is speaking. He's saying, my soul faints for thy salvation. This is a saved man talking. Uh, and wouldn't it be much like any of us today? There are burdens. You may have a heavy burden. Do you have a heavy burden tonight? Hmm? You've been carrying in your heart. No one knows about it but God. Maybe some loved one is seriously ill. Or maybe it's uh, something that's in your life that you don't really want there and that sinful flesh often crushes you. The enemy comes in like a flood and the standard of the Lord isn't raised quick enough. And the crushing comes and your soul faints for God to get you out of it. My soul faints for your salvation. You can get yourself into so many places sometimes and so many positions that you know that only God can deliver you. It gets beyond you. Sometimes you're in those situations and the deliverance seems rather easy. But there are other times that uh, it seems rather difficult. And this is one of those times and the psalmist is crying out, Now, Lord, my soul is fainting within me. And I long for your salvation. I long, Lord. I've been waiting for it. I'm looking for it. And, of course, too, uh, I can't help but think when uh, the psalmist is saying this here that all of us say this in a great sense. In uh, Romans 8, if I, if I have a funeral service, sometimes I, I will say, you know, and all creation groans and waits for the adoption to with the redemption of our bodies. And there is a sense in which all of us, oh, maybe not the young so much, but there is that sense in which we all long for God's salvation. Maybe the burden of life is so heavy. How often have you as individuals, husbands or wives, maybe some of the young people sometimes, they they get into trials and problems, and in their hearts they may not burst out with it, but in their hearts they're saying, oh, I wish the Lord would come tonight and, and finish it all up. Hmm? How many times have you said it? I wish the Lord would come tonight. Well, if you haven't said it, I, I don't know how you can miss it, you know, because it says, looking unto that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. And then it talks about, in Hebrews, about those that love his appearing, you see. So that the first thing, the burdened Christian heart goes to Christ and longs, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I long for your salvation. I'm fainting under the trial I'm under. But Lord, I hope in your word, and your word has made plenty of promises to me. All the promises of God are yea and amen. Remember that. Yea and amen. So that the promises of God are there for us to peruse when we have burdens. One of the saddest things in life is this, that the Christian heart under heavy burden and under depression 
does not seek the Word of God. This is a tragic thing sometimes. But what happens is that on, instead of seeking out the Word of God, they rather seek an answer someplace else. They look at the problem, they look at the condition, they look at the situation, they look at everything. And I think if we would just remember this, that we're not to get our eyes on the situation. Because if you get your eyes on the situation, you have them off Jesus. You get your eyes and set your affections on things above where Christ dwells. You set your gaze upon Christ and your whole thought is of him. And you're saying to him, the situation is thine, Lord. For the minute we get our eyes on the situation, we must take our eyes off the Lord Jesus. And the situation becomes enveloping our mind completely. And you know yourself, with your heart and mind on the condition or the situation or the problem you're facing, that's all that you can think. And you cannot set your affections on things above where Christ dwells. You're setting your, your mind upon the thing which you want answered, but not on the one who can answer it. So we're to always remember that we're to get our eyes off the situation and our eyes upon Christ, who answers the situation. Who answers your problems as a Christian? Do you? You cannot. You've got too many tough ones to face. Life is a, is a, is a great maze if Christ is not answering your problems. It'll get far beyond you. You'll not be able to cope with it at all. Christ either is the answer or he's not the answer. You can dispute, you can discuss, you can do everything. But mark my words, the person who discusses always, who disputes always, prays little. Because was the prayer life intense and fervent, the prayer life would settle the problem. The communion with God would undertake for the problem. In other words, if we rush around to settle every problem that we seek, and we want to do it in our own way, our own ideas, we're going to fail, and we'll have nothing but burdens and tragedies and all kinds of problems to face. We must hand it to Jesus, casting all, you know, put a circle right now, all your cares upon him. How many? Oh, for what? He careth for you. Well, he means it. He wouldn't say it otherwise. So we're to get our eyes off of the situation that troubles us most and upon the Lord Jesus. For many reasons we must do that. For number one, if you have your eyes on Jesus, he will bring peace to your heart. And to settle any problem, you need peace. You cannot have a confused mind and do anything about your problem. You have to have peace in your heart to face whatever the problem is so that you can think. I've often gone in a hospital and I talk to, to doctors. 
and some of our patients, our, our people are in hospitals. And uh, they'll say to me, uh, a wonderful patient. And uh, I'll say to them, do you know why they're a wonderful patient? Because they have perfect peace in their heart about their soul and about their life that it is in God's hands, not your hands. And the reason they heal and are raised up is because their minds are at perfect peace. And the doctor will immediately say, that's, that's 50% of a battle if I can get the patient to be at perfect peace. The healing processes go on immediately. He says, the ones we have burdens with are those that have no peace at all. Here the healing process, nothing, nothing. So there must be this glorious peace that we have. This saying, my soul faints, Lord, for you to deliver me. That's what this salvation means. For you to deliver me. I need deliverance. And I trust completely in thy word. Thy word has made many promises to me. Thou art able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think of you. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Huh? Exceeding abundantly above all. I always remember years ago when I was in Belrose Baptist Church and how uh, in those days Donald McDonald was the pastor in Belrose Baptist Church. And I always remember he'd take that verse of Scripture, you know. He is able to do exceeding, and he would say now, he is able to do exceedingly those things that we ask or think. No. He is able to do exceedingly above those things we ask or think. No. He is able to do exceedingly above all those things we ask or think. In other words, it's a superlative, you know? It's as though God is saying, no matter how far you go, He's able to do this far beyond the concepts of the human mind. Far beyond your imagination, God can undertake for you. And so this, this fainting soul, thy fainting soul, as it goes to God, you have a problem. Let me ask you something. When you pray, do you believe God hears you and he's going to answer you? Because I have to assure you that if you don't, you'll never get it. Do you remember when Jesus went into one city and it says, and Jesus stayed not in that city because he could do nothing there because they did not believe. Everything depends upon this, you see. This actual hard, strong faith in Jesus Christ that he is actually able to undertake for your burden, no matter how heavy it is. Listen, if you're saying in your heart, I've got a burden he can't answer, then you don't know Jesus Christ as you should know him. For he is able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. Having this confidence that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see? Confidence. Ability. He's got it. But we have to believe it, you see. Why? Nothing is impossible to God, you see. No matter what we, we would say, we might sort of take our problem out of God's hands because it's so big. And, and he says, no, it's not too big for me. None of the problems that you have are too big for me if you really believe that I can undertake for. Then too, I think 
The second verse says, Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? And here again, I, I think that uh, this when wilt thou comfort me is very, very important. I think we're all inclined. God answers very here. You know, we all go. We want a we hasty answer. You pray tonight, you hope the, the answer should be in the morning or it isn't worth anything, right? You know, you think this is it. You just, you just give off a glib prayer somehow to God and uh, the answer just flows in right away. No, it, it doesn't work that way. I wish it worked that way too. Prayer life would be the simplest thing in the world. If all I had to do was to come to Jesus and utter my requests, and that was it, I'd have the answer in the morning. But God never works that way. Never does he work that way. His answers will vary here according to his purpose. God will not comfort us. He can't comfort us if we're in sin. If you've got a problem you're praying about, and at the same time you've got sin in your life, you've got to get rid of the sin in your life so the problem will be answered. Because he can't hear you if you have sin in your heart. So he can give you no comfort as long as there is sin in your life. You remember that in James, even when they call the elders together to pray over one who is as the scripture says in the Greek, according to Zodiades, those who are sick unto death, call the elders together and let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and his sin shall be forgiven him. They go together, you see. God's not going to heal the profligate saint who's out carousing and doing all these things. If that kind of a fellow gets healed, I want to tell you something. God didn't do it. He just got healed by some doctor or some coincidence. You can use that for that type man. When God heals, it's on God's grounds. And God doesn't just throw his healing anywhere. It's on God's grounds when God heals. And we must make sure that our life is right with God. God can't comfort us if we are living in sin. God can't comfort us, beloved, if you keep your eyes on your problem. He cannot do it. We have to get our eyes on him. All kind of varying ways before God's comfort comes. Some answers are immediate. Some answers are miraculous. You pray, and the answer comes quickly, and I hope you rejoice when it does. I hope you rejoice when it does. I hope you don't immediately forget that you prayed. So often we get an answer, and then we look for all other kind of reasons why we got the answer. Why, well, listen. <laughs> you know, I've said this, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe that some of you have been ill, and we have prayed for you. And I believe in my heart, and I can't help it. I believe in my heart that when some of you were so fearful that you had this or you had that or you had a malignancy or some character that you had it and we prayed and God delivered, I never say, well, I guess they didn't have it after a prayer. That's typical, you know. 
You pray and someone's here and you say, well, I guess I never had cancer. What makes you think that? We have those who've been to the Presbyterian Medical Center. Cancer, definitely. Yes, they've been healed. We have those who've had heart conditions that were sick unto death. God healed. Why should you then begin to look about and say, well, I guess I never had it. Then why did you pray? Why do you go to God with your problems and after the answer comes, you're going to say, well, I guess it's just coincidence. It worked out this way. Admit you had the problem. Pray the way you should pray. And when you get the answer, say, praise to the Lord, he answered me. This gives praise where praise is due. Isn't it terrible how, we, how quickly we forget what we prayed for? I venture that if anyone here tonight began to look at your prayer life and think of the times you, you were sure you were sick unto death, this was it. You all know what I mean, don't you? You know, pain here, pain there. All the evidence is you got the old doctor book out and you look, bang, I've got it. Close the book. I'm through. Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> well, maybe you were through, I don't know. But you sought prayer from others, and God answered that prayer so wonderfully. And now you may have been sick unto death. Why do we always say, you know, we weren't sick unto death? Sure, you might have been. Don't you give credit to God that he can raise you this way? If he raised the sick and he raised the dead and he did the things he did. I was thinking that this last week when I read about the astronauts, you know, and I thought to myself, the Lord who made heaven and earth and everything there is, all that is visible, all that can be seen. And the astronauts read the Genesis wreckage, you know. And I thought to myself, a God who can do this, why do we ever think he can't do everything? If he put a billion galaxies up there, I don't think your little problem's so hard. Do you? And this is the kind of God that we go to. This is the kind of God that wants to comfort you. I was kind of thrilled when the astronauts got there, you know, the appearing before Congress and how he so cleverly said, Bowman, about uh, when he looked down and... Uh, he said he had had a Catholic read the, the King James Version, and then quickly turning to the Supreme Court justices in the front row, looking at them, he says, well, maybe we shouldn't have read the Bible now that I look at these men. And I said in my heart, praise God you had the courage to say it. Praise God you had the courage to say it. He knew it had been stopped in schools and all over by these men. I hate to say it, but when I looked at their faces, they just looked like a grumpy bunch of men who were perfectly satisfied that they'd stopped the Bible reading. But, beloved, our comfort is in God, who made what? Heaven and earth. What is God saying? 
He's saying to us, if I did it all and I made it all and I made you and I formed your body and I gave you the heart you have and men are finally finding out how to do a little transplant work that makes you live one year more and you realize the greatness of my being and what I have done in creation, then remember, in redemption, I redeemed you in the blood of my son. And if I saved you, as Ernie read tonight, by his death, how much more shall I keep? Keep you by his life. Right? Right? See, this is, the, this is the Savior we have. This is the one we love. When wilt thou comfort me? I have to say, most answers are slow. But God has his purposes here. Why, he, if he gave you quick answers, he'd never have you on your knees much. His answers are ordinarily slow because a quick answer would do no good in most cases. It's like God's forgiveness. You've sinned. And you go to God for forgiveness. And I believe that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I rejoice in that. And I know that when I go to God and I've sinned and I ask him, I'm cleansed every whit, and at that very moment, I'm free of sin. But God immediately doesn't take away the little torment of heart that may come. That always makes me think of confession when I was a Catholic, you know. Go to confession on Saturday night, confess your sins, and that's it. Confession was a very light thing. Confess your sins to the priest Saturday. Go to communion Sunday. Next Saturday, same thing. Every week, every week, week after week. And confession was a very, very light thing. But I warn you of this, that the deeper the sin, the mark is not effaced immediately. God lets you suffer a little while. Oh, yes, the sin is forgiven. But God doesn't take away the pain right away because if he took the pain right away the same night that you asked and confessed, you'd be liable to be back in the same thing a week later. So God just lets it lay there. Do you remember David? Huh? He said, oh, God's hand was heavy upon me, and my moisture was gone, and my bones did roar within me. And, beloved, the reason is God wants the heart to come to the place where it really is repentant. And a momentary thing sometimes, that quick confession and knowing that God has forgiven my sin. But I want to say that for a while, God may keep you there so that you'll never forget it. He doesn't let you just skip traces and get away from it. That's what people would like to do. Oh, he forgets your sin, and in time he's going to make it so you'll forget it. Rejoice! But for a little while, he varies how he comforts you. Notice the psalmist says here, Lord, when wilt thou comfort me? It's as though he's saying, you know, uh, Lord, uh, I've been waiting a long time. 
But I think you'd have to say it would be like Paul. He knows every one of you individually, see? There are some of you I think he could probably forgive tonight, and you may be the type person that, uh, bing, that's it, you know? You'd rejoice in it, and you'd be able to get up and walk that road with Jesus Christ. But uh, most Christians, since we're all different, God knows us. If he does things too quickly for us, we forget him completely. So he has to allow us the sort of stew in our own juices for what we've done so that we understand that there is a heavy weight upon the heart for sin. You cannot sin deeply and not feel it. You cannot sin deeply today and tonight get on your knees and confess your sins and immediately have restored to you the joy of your salvation. It doesn't work that way. I, I wish it did sometimes. I wish I could say to somebody, you know, it, you'll have the joy in the morning because it's, it's all forgiven, but I usually get a call the next day or the two days later or three days later and I say, oh, pastor, it's still going on in my mind, that terrible thing I did. I say, did God forgive you? Did you ask her? Oh, yes, I asked God forgiveness, and he forgave me, but it just, it just bothers me. And I say, let God have his time. Let it bother you a little while, because I don't think you'll ever get in it again if it bothers you. If it doesn't bother you, you'll be back. And God will have to go through the same process again. This is what happens in Romanism. This is what happened in my own heart. You could confess your sins, go out. I remember my father taking my hand on a Sunday, and we would come out from the church, we would come out from the, from the Mass, and my father was a very strict, rigid Catholic, man about six foot one, very, very straight, walked like a soldier, and I can remember holding his hand. I didn't want to hold it, really, because I would walk with him after Mass. We had just received Holy Communion, and every Sunday he went. And I would walk with him, and we'd get outside the church, and right down the corner, here's all the kids, the altar boys. I was an altar boy. Here's all the kids were altar boys. They'd confessed their sins. They had communion. They're playing crap on the corner. Ten minutes after Mass, my father would come in and get out of here. You know, it would make me think today of Jesus with the whip, you know. And I think those boys confess that sin every single week. They'd say, I know what they said exactly, because they said it might say, Father, we have sinned in so many ways we can't remember it. Well, that's simple. Sometimes the priest would say, you know, can't you be more specific? And then some boy would say, you know, well, Father, I, I played crap last week. I see. Didn't you tell me the same thing last week and the week before? And the, well, yes, I did. When are you going to stop? You know how he'd stop? Well, there were five priests in five different booths. So the next priest we all had, next week we had it all worked out. You don't go to him, you go to the other one. <laughs> then you go to him for four weeks. Then you go to the third one. By the time you get back to the first one, you've gone through three months. And then he hears a confession and he says, all right, things went pretty good the last three months, didn't they? But this is what actually would happen. This is what actually would happen. Why? Because it was so easy to confess your sins and to walk out after receiving communion and to go, listen, 
Mark my words. I can remember this so well. My father would walk past the bar room, which was right down the block from the Roman church, Prospect Avenue and Ninth Avenue in Brooklyn, where the Prospect Expressway is. And we would walk down the corner, and there were the men who had just had communion in the bar. would kill my father. He would say, I don't understand this. How can this be? These men were confession last night, communion this morning. Their families need money and food on the table, and that was the big problem in those days. And there they are, back in their sin again. Why? Too easy. Too easy. Get rid of it too easy. Let me tell you, God forgives our sins, but God makes us wait. You remember Paul prays for deliverance three times, and the Lord says, now you wait, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, lest you be exalted above your measure. He makes sure Paul must wait. Many of the great saints of God have to wait, wait, wait. God's chastening is slow. Sometimes it takes great patience on our part, but he will answer. He will answer. And the day will come, beloved, if you confess that sin, God will privilege you to forget it. When he sees you've gone long enough not committing it, what does he say? If thou shalt confess thy sin, and shall what? Forsake it, then will you find my mercy. Isn't that wonderful? Forsake it, then will you find my mercy. Lord, when will you comfort me? God just answers back, when you get your life straightened out, I'll do much, much comforting for you. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. Just a few verses, but, Lord, they're very blessed. And we pray that we'll realize that the comfort of God varies with the individual. We're not the same. We never were poured into the same mold. All of us are different. Each one responds to sin differently in different areas. Each one responds to the problems of life differently. So, Lord, you treat us differently. You have no set rule of treating individuals. All we do know is that when in your good time you believe that that heart has been suffered enough under the trial, the burden, the problem, you then deliver. We believe if we go to you with sincere prayer and we pray that prayer that, Lord, chasten us as chastening is necessary. And when thou dost have all the fullness of what you desire in our lives, then, Father, take us out of the chastening and put us on that mountaintop again where we would be with Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, impress this into our hearts. Thou dost forgive our sins immediately, yet there may be a period of time until you know that we have actually forsaken that sin and we understand the depth of it and will not go back to it. Lord, comfort thy children. The psalmist said, when will you comfort me? And that when of man is answered by the when 
of God. When wilt thou forsake thy sins? When wilt thou come back to me? When wilt thou seek my face? When? And when we do, then the comfort of God will be our portion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.